With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of Nestle Dormer. It's Lee here. However, this episode is going to be dedicated to the interview that our Gary did with Rob Sloman, the director of the recently released Everton documentary, Howard's Way, which is absolutely brilliant, if you haven't seen it already. It's available on DVD and all good streaming services. It's Gary that does the interview. However, I'm just here to do a bit of an intro, and Gary began by asking Rob how he got started with this whole idea. Um, the idea itself uh, is, is quite old, Um because I, I I make films etc. It, it always it was always something that I wanted to do to make a film about Everton. Um, but with all these sort of projects, you you need the finance, and um, that that's always going to be the tricky part. I made a film a few years ago uh, about Seve by Asteros the golfer, and he was uh, very much a, a sporting hero of of mine. But it was sort of the the, um, the finance was put in place by somebody else before I started, and um, and I ended up making a few things about or with Sevi, um, including working on the the movie in in twenty fourteen, um, the Sevi the movie, uh, where I was on the archive side, and and that gave me um, an insight into the raising money process for an independent film. You know, if a, if a if a film company doesn't back it, where do you get the money? Um, so I know that they were looking for lots of private investment on that film. Um, and then, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to one of the film, uh, studios, film companies and asked, uh, was asking lots of questions about, um, the future of sports stock for a completely different project, nothing to do with this. And in, in that conversation, um, the chap that I was meeting with suggested that a film about Everton in the eighties might work. Um, based on the success of, I believe, in Miracles and Arsenal's 89. Um, he felt that there was a decent chance because Everton fans hadn't had anything. There had been no films really uh, about Everton. There's nothing about that team. Um, and it's a massive club with a massive support. And so he thought that commercially it had a chance. Um, 
so he didn't really need to say any more to me than that. I I went home that night and um, furiously wrote up a, a treatment. I'd got something that I'd been sort of playing with for years and years. So I had the sort of bones um, and I just I just sort of spent the next two days fleshing that out and um, then sent it back or I got a, I got a proper online treatment put together and then sent it back to Universal. Uh, well, I better just put film company because I don't want to dump Universal in it, but because they pull out at some point. Um, so I sent it back to the to the film company. Um, I got a budget done uh, based on what I thought they would want um which was it was reasonable but it was sort of low for a film of this type um it wasn't anywhere near the budget that they had on films like Maker's Dream Gerard Kenny um but it was in line with the budget that they had on I believe in miracles uh, I think and and in the end that is the the inspiration for for Everton Howard's way it's very different in its type um in the type of film that it is but but the idea of the players talking um about the the uh, stories of that day, the fun that they had. Obviously, uh, they had um, Brian Clough as their manager, who's a who's a film on its own. We know that. And Howard was very different. He didn't court the media in, in quite the same way. Um, but um, uh, it, it did seem with the characters that 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 were in that team, it did seem that a film should be possible. Um, and then it was just about. Um, getting hold of the players, um, assessing their interest, and very quickly it became clear that they were interested. I went to Andy Gray first because I knew him a little bit from uh, uh, where we'd both previously worked at Sky, um, and Andy then uh, Andy was very keen. He got me in touch with Peter Reed, Graham Sharp. They were both very keen. Peter Reed, as I've said on lots of occasions, has an amazing context book. He's got a number for everyone. Um, so he, we, he, had, he had everybody's number when he was playing. When he was playing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, very good. Yeah. Um, so he um, he uh, gave me. Uh, I, I didn't sort of say to him, "Can you give me all these numbers?" It was just when I ran into a sort of stumbling block on any player, I just went back to Peter and said, "Do you have a number for this guy?" And, and invariably he would. He had two num. He had two Kevin Richardsons, although I didn't know that at the time. So he gave me a number for Kevin Richardson, and I. And I phoned him and I left a message and, and then we got talking on WhatsApp. And uh, after quite a lot of messages, it became clear that it wasn't the right Kevin Richardson. How he didn't how he didn't immediately say, oh, I'm not the one you want. How he, Why he thought, I'm making a film about Everton and I would want him because he's a mate of Peter's, I, I don't know. But anyway, eventually we got to the right Kevin Richardson. Um, and... Uh, and one by one, we just picked him off. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I knew, I think, that Gary Stevens was a physio in Australia. Um, so I sort of tracked him down, just good old Google. Um, and um, Mike Lyons, uh, I knew, was out in Perth because of, you know, the Everton fans, etc. saying, oh, Mike's out there doing this. So tracked him down. Um, Trevor is in Dubai most of the time, but got hold of his management and she put me in touch with him and then... Um, uh, who were the other tricky ones? The 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 um, the, the job. Well, Adrian Heath was was tricky because he's in Minnesota, but Reedy gave me um, his numbers and details. So um, we did. Uh, we we got hold of Adrian, and, and how, really, how, they, and really, they were all helpful. How did you decide on the structure? So I, I think that um, I think when we would when they would do when I was working on the Sevi movie, I think their original intention was to to do it in the style of 
Senna, i.e. you don't see the, the interviewees, you, you don't see them. Um, everybody's kept out of it. I, 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 there wasn't enough footage to do it in that style anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, you would need a ridiculous amount of... Um, but, and, and even if you did have the footage, you'd then have to pay for it and, and the budget wouldn't stretch to that. And I don't mind. I think if the interviews, uh, if the interviews look good... And I think they add, they very much add to it. And also with players like this, when they're laughing, when they're telling the stories, I, I, I think you want to see them and, and you want to see what they look like now anyway. So um, it was, I, I don't tend to make any films where I require a narrator, not anymore anyway. Maybe, as you say, maybe if, uh, many moons ago, but um, um, the, the, the style of films I, I like are the ones that are self-narrated by the, the cast, if, if you like. Um, and uh, and that was always the that was always the plan here, um, and the structure of the story, it, it sort of evolved um, over time. I, I think I originally had it in my head that we'd probably start with them running on at Wogan, and then the more programs that I watched, more people seemed to have seen that clip, and uh, and therefore it wouldn't have that um, surprise factor that that you want at the start of a film. Um, or, or it, it, it just didn't seem special enough to do it, having seen that you know it was on a couple of shows, clip shows, you know the worst football songs of uh, of all time yeah, and all yeah. that sort of thing. So, so uh, and then I was sat down with uh, so when I, when I actually got uh, to the point where I thought it was going to happen, I, I then sort of targeted Twitter to find some real characters uh, from the Everton fan base because I always felt that. It needed a fan element because I think Everton's a very, very special club for its relationship between players, club, fans. I think it's almost unique in that sense. And maybe that will change when we go to Bramley Moor. But at, at that moment, it still retains that that passion between um, the players. <laughs> I'm going to say just about the players. Definitely, the, the fans love their club, Everton. Everton fans love the club in a way that I, I can't think that many other clubs do. That might seem, you know, may may seem a, a statement you could argue with, but um, but there is that relationship between the club and the fans. They are, if you, if you look at a, and I know it's because we're not so corporate as a lot of them yet, and again that will change. But um, if you look at the celebration pictures when Everton score a goal, when they when the players run through, there's no iPads, there's no iPhones, nobody's nobody's filming the moment uh, particularly. Most people are in the moment. They're loving it. They're um, they're still retaining that that sort of frenzied passion. And um, and I wanted to put a little bit of that in the film. And so I was sort of casting my eye over Twitter to see who were the fans that seemed to engage with other guys. And, and Dave Feely uh, was somebody that I, that I spotted quite early on. Started chatting to him about various things, not really Everton um, at that time. But once we... I, I met him at West Ham, uh, the, the cup game that we lost on penalty, penalties um, a few years ago. I met him there and I said to him, I want to make a film. It's um, it's a it's a it's a while off yet, but I'd like to do it. Um, and then um, when we got the sort of green light, um, I I arranged to meet him. Um, in Liverpool, um, and uh, one of the early chats that we had, he told me this story about um, the Alan Ball story that's at the front yeah. of the film. Yeah. And suddenly it sort of seemed to make sense to to recap a little bit to just say listen this this was a club that was very successful massive history um and the the big players came to Everton there was no bigger player on the market than Alan Ball after the 66 World Cup not in terms of his age and everything else you know he was 
and and he went to Everton, and and I think that that gives you a good idea of uh, of how big a club Everton was. I think I think that um, um, who'd won the most titles at the uh, the mid sixties stage of the mid sixties. It, it, it was about level. Level. I think there was a time when I think Arsenal had seven. Yeah, Everton had seven. Yeah. So, so really and truthfully, I wanted to show that Everton were a massive club with a massive history and then show where it went a little bit. I knew I'd got Mick Lyons to sort of take me through the, the 70s, but, but David's Alan Ball story just was a lovely link, you know, and, and his idea that, well, you know, we'll, we'll never win anything again. And uh, yeah, we didn't for a long time. And um, so that sort of allowed me to then get into the the bulk of the story which was which was fairly easy then because you know you have a timeline and you know sometimes you might be tempted to 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 sort of dart back and forward but i didn't want to i didn't want to alienate the audience uh too much so I did, I did a little bit of that with things like going to the 66 cup final to introduce the 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 frank wilmot windmill the windmill um but generally speaking once I'd got that sort of starting 60s, 70s, and here comes Howard, um, everything seemed to to flow then. Um, and one thing I was sort of saw very early on was that that um, um, Derek Hatton's timeline, and obviously Derek Derek was a massive figure, massive political figure in the 80s, and um, he more than anyone, whether it, for good or bad, he was the sort of political face of Liverpool in that same period that Everton and uh, under Howard his first term um Howard's first term at Everton um and um so I noticed his timeline uh, you know surging to sort of sort of popularity and the height of it with the the demonstrations and the and the protest march and everything uh, and then you know um and then he himself uh falling away under the weight of Kinnock's speech and, and other stuff. And the timeline was remarkably similar. So, you know, I, I always thought we have to tell the story of uh, of Liverpool, the city, or, or we have to touch on it. I didn't go, I don't think I went too uh, deeply into it. Um, um, in Two Tribes did that really well. Uh, the, BB, the, the BT documentary, I thought, did a great job of that. And I didn't feel that it was the right vehicle to get too immersed in it. So uh, I wanted to use, uh, I wanted to, to, to talk to Derek and, and, and get a flavour for it because, you know, you do your research and you find out just how difficult it was in Liverpool in the, in the uh, early 80s and mid 80s, in fact, the 80s, full stop. You know, Keith Mullins said an interesting thing. He said, you know, people think the 80s in Liverpool, they think that the 80s started in 1980. But actually, in Liverpool, it started in the late seventies. So you know, things were, were were on their way down, and um, and uh, yeah. So I, I thought you were going to say that uh, they started, they started in the eighteen eighties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could you could you know you could say you could certainly make a case for it starting decades earlier. But um, but I I felt it was right to 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 do a little bit on that, um, and you you could get. I mean, well, I had loads more um, archive um, about uh, the 80s and, and obviously all of the managed decline material. I, I had that, but it, it just felt like I was going too far away if I did that. And Derek was very closely associated with the team. He was very pally with a lot of the players. You see that in the film that Adrian, you know, he became close to Adrian and Adrian's dad. He's still close to Peter Reid now, I think. So... So I felt that that was right, and then you know Liverpool and, and music. Um, I'm not the first person to link those uh, those yeah. two, am I? And, and, and fashion. Um, it was interesting for me to 
to to see um, some of the pictures that Dave Feely's got, that Keith has got, um, about how they were sort of wearing their Adidas trainers, um, 70s, 80s, you know, making a statement that, that other people all followed, you know, in the years to come. So, um, I mean, I'm sat here now in a pair of Adidas trainers, you know, and, and uh, it was just a look that, that um, most Liverpool fans will say that, the, that they started, Liverpool and Everton fans, um, with their trips over to Europe, um and uh yeah so i wanted to get a flavor of of everything else that was going on the, the music was important the um the fashion and the political situation it was all important what's been the reaction of the fans particularly the hard to please ones <laughs> maybe like me uh, who were actually there um listen you can only make the, so you've got a film in your head and you can only really do that and and you have to make the film you want to make you you have to do that. I, I I wanted to make it right for the core. I, I I've got a I I had a sense that that um, of, of what would work because you know I've been an Everton fan since I was six years old. So um, so I, I had a uh, and and initially my my first uh, what are we eighty eight to ninety four was in newspapers. Um, so editorially I thought I, I would be all right. Um, and I know that which were the moments that that mattered to me that the um, through the through the different years. So, but it, but in terms of um, um, you can't worry too much is is I guess what I'm saying because you I, I always wanted to make it with humour. Um, the editor uh, that I work with, Mike Brook, and, and I we were similar in that sense that, that if we think something's funny, it'll go in. Um, and uh, it, it was good to hear. The reaction, the, the the premiere on the second was obviously, I wouldn't say it was nerve wracking because we were confident that we'd got a good film. But but um, you wait for a reaction at the point where you think there should be a reaction. And the reaction came earlier than than uh, than either of us had expected. And I, and I thought from that point, I thought, well, we'll, we'll be OK if they're laughing, yeah. if they're laughing here. So um, in terms of getting it right for the for the core, I thought I had a head start because, you know, I've lived it for haven't lived it in Liverpool that's that's the one thing that I was maybe a little bit concerned about and that's why it was important for me to get fans like Dave Feely Keith Mullen um, Barry Cass was a part of this uh, Mark Nixon um, Crawford Miles all these guys I, I'd sat with them I'd spoken to them I wanted to get a feel of uh, of what it was like at that time I don't think anybody expresses it quite as well as, as Dave Feely I, I think he's a, a remarkable character um, but I, I wanted to to have a feel for the away fans, you know, not not just the guys that would rock up at Goodison, but the guys that were on the buses, like you're talking about, that would do anything to get into games. I mean, Dave and Keith told me stories of getting into games without tickets. That um, you know, being a being a lad from uh, Cornwall who you know didn't get to go to, to Everton games and certainly wouldn't have had any understanding of uh, of the troubles in in Liverpool and the difficulties that that uh, that were up there, and, and therefore. You know, it was a it was an eye opener to hear the, some of the stuff they got up to to allow themselves to get into games. And obviously, I've seen the pictures of uh, at Wembley. I think it was '86 where the BBC captured the um, the fans leaping um, to the window. You know, 40 feet up in the air. You know, so I, I was aware of 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 the passion and the desire um, that that existed um, between the the fan the various fans that are up there. That their desperation to make sure they saw a, a match at all costs. But you know some of Dave's stories are hilarious, and um, and and I'd heard a few from a chap called Dave Kirby, a Liverpool fan. I'd done a feature 
uh, about him. He's a writer and um, um, and um, uh, he's a poet as well, I think. And and I and I he told me some hilarious stuff. So I knew there was things that went on. Not much that I could relate to, but it was important to uh, to try and get a feeling for it. And I spent a lot of time after matches in the Winslow pub talking to to people and. Um, and and when I was in there, I thought, wow, these these people live this. This is really their life, you know. And um, uh, and that was the one area, I guess, I was like, wow, um, they'll know if it's not authentic. If yeah. I yeah. if I if it's if I come across as a bit of a fraud here, then <laughs> I'm um, yeah, there's no hiding place. So, but well, well, the stories <laughs> the stories help. When we were going and meeting the players, you know, the the stories. And I, and I've read I've read so many books. Gary, that I just, um, I just thought, right, I, I've got a good idea for half a dozen, ten stories, and I'm sure when I sit down with the players, they'll tell me more. And a funny story is a funny story, so that was always going to help me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, whole there's a whole extra film, extra film about, about scally, scally culture. culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is, there is, yeah. Which you might be the man to make now. Well, listen, um, I mean, if I thought that, uh, you know, if, if um, Every, that, that's the problem, Gary. I mean, having having a good idea is is one thing, but yeah. you know, there's loads of films that I I want to make that um, people just say to me, "Well, I don't, I you know, I don't see commercially how it works," and I'm like, oh, yeah. You might expect some of the players who have made a career in media, the likes of Andy Gray and uh, Trevor Stephen, to speak well, but it was such a delight to see Gary Stevens in Australia there um, speaking so well. Um, but the the one who must have been tricky was Neville Southall because, in a way, he's still sort of sat on his own, leaning against the post, isn't he? So, um, what was it like trying to to pin him down and trying to get an edit that worked? I think I think that uh, Neville knows what he's doing. I think, yeah, yeah I know. So, um, listen, it, it became it became clear. So when we're walking, when we, we met, um, we met Neville up in Liverpool, and we we're just off to, to do the, the filming. And he walk, he, he comes alongside me, and he says, "Right, um, can I swear?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, you, yeah, but infrequent." Neville is the is the answer to that. Don't yeah. don't keep doing it. And I don't I don't think he heard a word I said because he just yeah. swore all the way through. But um, but he he spoke so well for so long. I mean, Neville, like all the players, he was just incredibly generous with his time. And I think he get in, I think he got into it, and and I think he absolutely knows what he's doing. He knows that he's deadpan. Were you at St George's Hall? No, no. Right. So he goes up on the stage um, and immediately just starts, you know, completely deadpan delivery, slating everybody else. You know, <laughs> somebody said, uh, Neville, you were the world class. You were the world's best. He goes, well, I have to be behind this shower of shit yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you yeah. know, so he knows what will get a laugh. He knows that um, if he if he plays that that role, that that people lap it up. Um, and um, yeah, when when. There were loads of things that I couldn't put in from from Nev because um, he just did swear in the middle of it, and I thought I, I've got to be careful here because I, I don't yeah. want to put too many in. But but generally speaking, on the stuff that mattered to me and the way I was making the film, it was all pretty good. So um, you know, when he was talking about various players, he maybe you know just to get a laugh had put an F or a this or a that in there. Yeah. Um, but I didn't need too much of that. You know, I used well. You'd have seen in the film. I, I used Neville in a certain way. You know. I, um, he doesn't break into a smile very often, apart from when you recount the the the, Kev, um, the Alan Harper story. He still finds that hilarious. But um, but he, he, you know, he was he was great. And um, I mean, when you're talking to Neville, you are aware that that he is the 
the the one guy in that team who could say that he was the world's best in his position. There were loads of really good players in that team, but he was fantastic. So, you know, he was, it was important was. to get him, important to get him on side. When I went to meet him, to I, I met everybody, pretty much everybody before we interviewed with them. I, I interviewed them. I, I went to meet them just just to tell them about the project. And I went to Neville um, down uh, Carmarthen Way in in Wales, and we met in a, a small uh, leisure centre and just sat on a couple of plastic chairs in reception and, and just chatted about it. And obviously everybody's coming in going, blimey, is that Neville Southall? Um, and, uh, you know, we had we had a, a good chat there. And um, yeah, very quickly you realise what role these people have to play in the film. I knew when we interviewed Pat Van Den Howe, I knew, I knew it was Goldust. I, I, I mean, he, he's, you know, diff, bless him. He's, he didn't, I don't think it would have been his dream scenario to be doing that. Um, Pat Van Den Howe, but um, but again, generous with his time. And having done that interview, you know, he obviously was okay with it because I then asked him to do that bit with John Bailey. And uh, and uh, Pat, if he was really uncomfortable, would just look at you and say no. Yeah, um, yeah and it was it was absolutely lovely, lovely to, see to see it. I mean, I was, I mean, at, the I was at the game when John Bailey, John Bailey scored from the halfway half line. Oh yeah, line. Luton, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tremendous stuff, and I and I was also there when he got sent off QPR. And what, no, what, okay. what he didn't mention is that is that Simon, Simon Stainrod was, was sent off from a prone position. He was on, no. he was on the deck, yeah. being sent, being sent off, off by the referee. Um, well, it was. I mean, it was a, it was a good strap. He still had it in his eyes. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. When I met him, when I met him, Gary, he was uh, he was looking at me. We we met at um, uh, the Blue Base at the um, uh, Everton in the Communities Hub, yeah. Yeah. and we met there. And I was introduced. I think David uh, David Feely and, and Karina Karina Duffy from Everton in the Community, who is outstanding, by the way, in terms of how hard she works and how uh, key she was on this project. So they introduced me to Pat, and uh, for the first five or six minutes, he, he just he didn't say very much. He just looked at me. He was sort of working out. <laughs> whether he was or he wasn't going to get involved in this. And um, and then almost out of nowhere, um, I mentioned the Bayern Munich game and, he, and it just changed. He, he sort of softened slightly um, and just said, uh, yeah, I still remember the noise. He said it was like a volcano, it just went boom. And I said to him, I said to him, Pat, that's all I really need from you. Yeah. You know, little yeah. gems like that would be absolutely perfect. And um, I didn't know how he was going to react talking about um, John Bailey when when he came in, but he loved it. He loved telling that story, and that's why I'd always always had the idea of interviewing them together. But John Bailey didn't um, didn't turn up for the or uh, wasn't able to make the first interview. So I did Pat on his own, and I thought I still want to do them together. I, I like the idea of them sitting there telling telling us how it happened because I knew they were great mates now. Yeah. But yeah. Pat, yeah, Pat was an interesting character, but you know was worried about how he came across, and I and I said to him. This is before we'd done any screening, so only me and a half a dozen other people had seen it. And I said, I honestly wouldn't worry, Pat. I think you come across brilliantly, and I think people will really like you in this. Um, and, uh, yeah, they did. I had a couple of good mates from Sky went to watch it last week. There was a screening at Sony for the industry. Um, and um, industry Evertonians, I thought it was just literally um, Sony industry connections. But actually, they managed to, to find 50 TV and film people, uh, Evertonians in and around London. Yeah. So they all came yeah, for this. We're, like, we're like rats. Yeah, I know. In London, you're never more than six, six feet, feet away from, away from Everton. I think, and I think it's brilliant. In fact, one of them's just uh, there's a guy at the BBC who tweeted overnight about something, and, and uh, he's arts and entertainment at the BBC. I've, I've gone straight back to him to say, 
can you review it please because yeah. the bbc yeah. we haven't cracked the bbc yet really um and uh uh where was i uh, i talk so much i tend to put myself <laughs> off but did anything surprise you because one of the things that surprised me a great deal is that it that it had hurt adrian heath so much to have missed out on those uh those glorious nights. You, you know, you mentioned that bit about Adrian. I'd seen the the uh, the pictures of him on the pitch at half time and and how he'd gone. You know, because you can see it in the in the, at the end of the film. You yeah. can see yeah. when he gets his medal, he gets that reception from the crowd. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was tears in his eyes then. And, and, and he when was, we, and he was booed when he came. Yeah, came, yeah, in, came in. You yes, know, he, he was. was yeah, he was yeah. we heard it. On the, you know, they weren't messing he around. Won but, us um, over. Um, so it, you know, it wasn't a surprise to me that he was emotional about that. I'd I'd read. Simon Hart's book, Here We Go. Have you read that? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. You need, no, you need to read it. it. It's very good. Lots of the stories in there. You'll recognise a few of the stories. But um, but I'd, I'd read his chapter in that and I knew he was... I knew he found that night in particular in Rotterdam. I knew he found that hard. I, I guess the surprising thing... I've known Andy Gray a long time and I was really surprised to see him start to go when he talked about leaving the club. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, I, I wasn't sure whether everybody else would see it on the screen. Obviously, it's a big screen, so you do see it. But, you know, I, I thought when I'm talking to him, I thought, oh, he's, he's red eyed here. I didn't expect Andy, you know, 30 odd years on. I didn't expect it to still upset Andy that he left Everton and he was genuinely upset. Um, and so you, you see a lot in, in just how much they cared. All the players, when I spoke to all of them, you know, the Trevors, the, the Paul Bracewells, who played at other clubs, you know, for, for chunks of time, good periods of time, Gary Stevens, I said, what's your club? You know, always asked them, what's your club? And they all said Everton. Everton, you know, by, you know, Bracewell, who's, you know, um, not, not from um, Liverpool and played a lot of his career away from Everton and was injured a lot of the time at Everton after 86 and Billy Whitehurst. But, you know, Brace is absolutely no doubt he's an Evertonian. Um, and, and I think that's what it, that's what the club does to you. I just think it, you know, you spend any time there and, and it has a, uh, a sort of magical effect on you. And these guys are lucky that the, the magical effect was at a time when we were winning stuff. You know, imagine those poor sods who feel themselves a complete Evertonian who had nothing but, you know, um, misery and and, uh, and disappointment. I have a 22-year-old 22 22 son, son who, who probably who falls, probably into, falls that into that category. Just leave you because we're, 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 we're running, out, running of time. out of time. You've been very You've generous. Been very generous. No um, my, my, my father... You, I, I know, you did, is, Gary, did, you didn't like the, the overuse or that you thought it was overused, the, um, the, the tunes, didn't you? The... Um, no, it, the, wasn't, the, it wasn't. It wasn't so, it much, wasn't the so much the music at the time. At the time. I mean, I, I mean, know, I can take, take China Crisis, China crisis or leave. No, you meant the, the, the FA Cup song. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 felt, I felt that the yeah, there was a yeah, little, was a little bit, bit too much. Too much. No, that's all right. I mean, listen. I, I mean, everybody, everybody's got uh, opinion. I, I read course, it, and actually, course. actually, it was it was quite nice to read it because uh, if you're on Twitter, you see we just hadn't had anything other than positivity. It's been yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So I quite liked it. I read it, and I thought, okay, that's interesting. I mean, '84. I don't think anybody remembers that song. So I, I obviously '84. Um, I thought it was really relevant because I'd asked Feely. I mean, Feely knows everything about Everton, dating back to the 19th century. All right, so he is an encyclopedia, and he didn't remember that song. I, None I, of the players I, I certainly didn't. Nobody remembered it. So I thought that was nice to do that. And here we go was very important to the end of the film, and I knew that that was my only opportunity to lift it up. I had to to lift it up. I needed that. Uh, that I knew that they the the players had done that. I knew that they'd got round. I knew it had been filmed. 
um, and and it felt like and um, at, at uh, St George's Hall, everybody started singing the song uh, when they thought the film was over. It sort of it sort of ends in three bits, doesn't it? But they all started, you know, uh, uh, getting into here, here we go. And I thought, okay. But I but I I, I watched that and I, or I read your piece and I, I thought that's interesting. That's interesting. And, and listen, um, if I asked a thousand people and they weren't all Evertonians, they'd all you know, lots of people would definitely say. I could have done with less Derek Hatton. To me, it was in, it was. I, listen, I, I, I weighed that up a million times myself because I know that one or two of the players weren't as close to him as, as others. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a fine, fine balance. Whether there was more of him at one point, and and we watched it, and I thought, yeah, there's, there's a bit much. I had heard Degsy run round the houses with those quotes and stories so many times before. But the rest of the film was so very, very fresh. Was, no, I know what you're saying. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, yeah. it, it is almost like an, an old stand-up going through his routine again. But, yeah. but by the by the same token, if if this film is to work, you know, outside of the fan base, and obviously I need to get it right for its core. But if it, if it, if it's going to stand up so that somebody who's sitting down watching it with an Evertonian clings to it a little bit, then then I have to sort of start and end that story. It needs course, to have a, a start, middle, and end. But uh, yeah, listen, he's a very divisive character in the city now and, and countrywide. I come from Cornwall. I, you know, you do your research on what Cornwall was like in the in yeah, the eighties. Yeah. There weren't many farmers. No, uh, no. There weren't many farmers with their thumbs up for Derek Hatton. Let me tell you that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I so I, I I absolutely get that. But once he's in, you have to do it properly. I think so. My father said to me um, probably sometime around the the Leicester games that would be February eighty five, uh, and he'd been going since the war this wasn't just the best Everton side he had ever seen, but the best Everton side that we would ever see. And I think, therefore, I knew from quite a young age, I was 21, that there was something very precious and, and fragile uh, about this team coming together so quickly. And indeed, they they faded quite quickly as well, or rather they disbanded quite quickly as well. And I think your film really is the definitive story of of something that was that was unique that hadn't really happened before and obviously can now never happen again so i probably the 90% of the film i sort of cobbled it together i edited it together so that the the timeline worked but it's the touches it's the little yeah. things yeah. that um the 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 speed of an edit you know when there's when there's conversation going on and you need to cut quickly etc um, to try and give it some life, like Peter Reed's story about joining the club um, and, and getting hammered, and um, and just bits where there's dialogue pinging around. He's brilliant at that, and it, and it, you know, I notice that so many of the laughs come from the way that he's edited little bits in the film. And um, yeah, he's my uh, he's my go-to. He's uh, he's he's brilliant, Mike Brooks. We're releasing some music from the film. Um, Obviously not the commercial stuff. People have said, is there a soundtrack? Well, there, there is, but it's the original stuff, the stuff that Keith Mullen put together with yeah. his team. Um, we're releasing that. So Everton Forever, which is the song that's um, uh, at the end of the film as the credits go up. Um, that one, will, will, that, they'll all be available, but that's the, the, that's the one that we're hoping that, that uh, Everton supporters in, enjoy particularly. So, so we, had a, we had nearly two weeks at fact um, for this. So it's been, and, and the, I think we've, in the time that it was there, it was the most popular film uh, that they had on. I think that's right. You might need to go to them and check that. But I believe that uh, of all the films that they had during the period that, that uh, Everton Howard's Way was there, we were, we were their top uh, selling film. Um, but yeah, I'd like to get it back um, 
between now and Christmas, uh, get another week somewhere if we can. I don't know how possible that is. We're, we're looking to get a screening in in uh, in London as well. And yeah. then yeah. festival-wise, I sort of defer to the people behind the scenes on that one on, on, on where we can take it and what we can do. But so um, I, I we'll, we'll we'll try and t- I will. Well, there are people with more experience in terms of festivals and etc. than than me, but um, I would imagine that we'll we'll take it wherever we can. Yeah. So thank you very much and congratulations on a, a tremendous achievement, a, a fine film for obviously every every Evertonian, but also anyone with an interest in the culture uh, of the UK in that uh, that uh, stormy decade of the eighties. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.